This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Radio.com studios in L.A. And I'm Ken Charles, in today for Charles Feldman. Latest, as always, on the coronavirus pandemic. Hence the name, Coronavirus Daily. There you go. You know, just one day after the United Kingdom rolled out their new virus vaccines, there are reports now of people showing huge allergic reactions. We may be a step closer to getting vaccines here, but uh, you can't take off the mask yet. So one expert predicts when we'll finally be able to go out without covering our faces. President-elect Joe Biden has a slate of pandemic management goals he's trying to pull off within his first 100 days. Is he being too ambitious? Is he realistic? Can he even pull it off? In California, restaurant owners, they've reached the breaking point. Outdoor dining, most of the state was closed over the last week. Some defying the public health orders. Others getting pretty creative in trying to find some workarounds. You know what? And they are really creative. (laughs) You know, the feds continue to be at odds over a COVID relief bill. This, as millions of Americans don't know how they'll make it through the winter without a stimulus check. We'll talk to Congresswoman Katie Porter and find out what's going on and what's holding things up in Congress. But first... Let's start with vaccines. They've only been administering COVID vaccines in the UK for 24 hours, and already they've run into some problems, a possible allergic reaction among some people. How worrisome is this? Dr. Angela Rasmussen, virologist at the Georgetown Center for Global Health, Science and Security. So a couple people at least with his reactions, um, but some also having reactions just from placebo shots. So sort this out for us. Yeah, so it's really, really difficult to tell right now if there's any um, relationship between those allergic reactions and the vaccine. Both of the people who had those allergic reactions were reported to already be prone to allergic reactions. Both of them carried EpiPens uh, in case they did have allergic reactions. So it's not entirely clear. Um, at the same time, the the UK uh, National Health Service or NHS is currently advising people who do have severe allergies to hold off on seeking the vaccine uh, if they if it's available to them, um, just to make sure that there isn't a relationship between those allergic reactions and the vaccine. So how does it change anything that we will eventually be doing here? And what kind of work do they have to do to figure out what actually triggered this in that vaccine? Well, they're going to have to look and see um, if there are people who are having these allergic reactions after receiving the vaccine who don't have a history of having allergic reactions or have no history of having uh, those types of reactions when getting a vaccine or drug. Um, that that would indicate that perhaps there is a relationship between uh, those reactions. They've also advised um, people to not be getting the vaccines any place where they don't have the capability to rapid respond, rapidly respond to an anaphylactic reaction. Um, so a place where basically at a hospital um, or clinic where they would have the means to treat somebody uh, if they did have an allergic reaction. And so that's really the kind of thing that we need to be doing when distributing these vaccines. But the good news is that when these vaccines are uh, distributed in the U.S., potentially as early as this week or early next week, Um, Those will all be primarily happening in hospitals, uh, medical centers or clinics where they do have those capabilities. Is there a possibility, uh, not speaking about these people who have had reactions, but is there a possibility that somebody uh, might be prone to psychosomatic reactions and uh, because they're worried, they're anxious, and when they get the shot, their body responds as if they're allergic to something? Is that possible? That's certainly possible, and that's actually the reason why we do double-blinded clinical trials. 
Um, that's where both the participants in the trial and the people administering the experimental vaccine are unaware whether the person is getting the placebo or the vaccine, because sometimes if people think that they're getting the vaccine or know that they're getting the vaccine, they might uh, have those psychosomatic reactions accordingly. As we move forward, uh, what are we learning about to the extent of how these vaccines we think are going to work? Either uh, is this in a scenario where I don't end up catching coronavirus, I don't get COVID, or I just have less of a case? Uh, and can I transmit? I mean, there's a lot of questions that are still to be still to be answered. Yeah, those are the those are the biggest open questions for me right now, and for many of my colleagues. I think what is very clear um, with the data that Pfizer has shared with the FDA is that these vaccines are very efficacious at preventing symptomatic COVID-19. Um, what these trials did not look at was viral load in people uh, who received the vaccine, whether or not they frequently became asymptomatically infected. So that's something that's going to require a very close look as these vaccines start to be rolled out to the public. Because obviously, if people are protected against disease, that's hugely beneficial for public health. Um, and it will certainly relieve the burden on our healthcare system. But that also uh, has major implications if those people can still be infected and potentially transmit the virus to others who have not been vaccinated. Dr. Angela Rasmussen, virologist, Georgetown Center for Global Health Science and Security. All right, let's face it. We don't know how well the coronavirus vaccines are going to work in reality. Plus, it's going to take months before a majority of Americans get vaccinated. So how much longer do we have to wait and wear these silly face masks? WBVM's Cisco Cotto spoke with Dr. Chris Colbert, ER doctor, assistant program director at the University of Illinois, Chicago, offering his prediction on when we can get rid of the face coverings. Uh, Dr. Colbert, I think people are believing once they have that vaccine, they're good to go. No more masks. It doesn't sound like that's going to be the case, though. Well, it's not exactly going to be the case, but it's still a very positive conversation we can have now with the public. So what we see and what we do know is that once the initial distribution of the vaccine will go to healthcare providers and, of course, those individuals who live in extended care facilities and those who work with extended care facilities. And there's an intricate checks and balances in reference to the data that's collected. It's not just the the administration of the vaccine, but it's also there's a follow-up. There's a database that's collected as well, and that's before the second dose. So all that information needs to be collected, and from that, they can make a decision when it will be widely distributed to the public. And so getting it widely distributed, at what point, at what point do we stop with the masks? I mean, is that when you have uh, millions of people vaccinated, or I mean, how does that work? So just to give you a, a point of reference, there are over 300 million people in the United States. Um, and for us to get to a place in which we can safely walk around without mask and not be concerned with hand sanitizing and social distancing, you're going to have to have a percentage of that three over 300 million individuals that have taken the vaccine. And so that is, all, in all honesty, we're looking at maybe a year to a point where we can even begin the conversation of not having a mask. President-elect Joe Biden has made it clear he wants a complete overhaul in the style and substance of the nation's approach toward managing the now way out of control COVID pandemic. Within his first 100 days in office, Biden wants to administer 100 million vaccine doses, issue a national mask mandate, and reopen schools. Is he too ambitious 
or not going far enough. Dr. Peter Katona, clinical professor of medicine and infectious diseases, UCLA's Geffen School of Medicine, used to work with the CDC. So, doctor, what do you think about the plans that we have so far from the president-elect? Well, thank you for having me. I, I like it. I, I think we need to have a bit of cautious optimism and leadership. We need to make sure that the federal government is more involved with all different aspects of the outbreak. And I think it's realistic to look at 100 days and what can get accomplished in 100 days. And I think it's vitally important to open up schools, not just for the sake of the students, but also for their parents who are going crazy. Um, what more do you want the president you'd like to do? Is there something that he's not doing that he needs to in the first 100 days? Well, we need to expand testing. I think that's very, very important. Uh, we're doing about 2 million tests a day nationally, and that still isn't enough. So we need to increase contact tracing. Um, we need to have better and more consistent guidelines coming out of places like CDC. Um, and we need to see what happens with the vaccine. The vaccine is great, and it's making great progress, but there's a lot of logistic issues that are still unresolved, transmissibility issues, you know, certain subpopulation issues. So we still need to, to handle that, but we're certainly making strides in the right direction there. When it comes to the schools, did we learn or have we learned um, since, you know, over the last few months that we probably should have flip-flopped it, that it should have been the little kids, elementary schools going back and not some of the colleges that did. And if you are to bring the kids back into the campuses, you have to still get the community spread down, right? Or the teachers aren't going to want to go back in. Yeah, it's a complicated issue. And, you know, people are thinking of it as, well, it's either schools or the economy and stores. But, you know, there are places like England, for example, that had severe lockdown until last week. And then they opened up and they've had schools open this whole time. So there's, there's good evidence that the transmission in schools is not that high compared to the general population. And there's such an importance in schools. I, I personally think schools should put, be put at a very high priority to opening carefully and slowly. ICU bed availability is a big problem here in California, and it's responsible for some of our uh, new added restrictions that we've got. Is there something that President like Biden can do once he's in office that could help with the ICU bed situation in areas where it's a problem? Well, I think having a national policy, having mutual aid work from one place to another better than it does now is important. We don't have we have 50 states that act as 50 countries. And if the federal government could make those 50 states act more like one country coming from federal leadership, that would be very helpful. It, it, when it comes to mask wearing, the 100 days of the mask wearing, um, you know, a lot of people say uh, President Trump doesn't wear masks and so people aren't going to wear masks. Or if Joe Biden does, does it really change anything? I mean, if people aren't wearing masks right now, are they going to put one on? Well, I think that it's going to depend. You know, we, we have a president now that doesn't think much of mask wearing. We have a president-elect that does. And now he is going to have the bully pulpit in his name. So I think that that's going to change to some degree, and we'll have more mask wearing. But if you look at the 50 states, they're all over the place in terms of mask mandates. I think that just by example and by better federal leadership, we'll be able to have a little better handle on getting a larger percent of the population to wear a mask.
All right, Dr. Peter Katona, Clinical Professor of Medicine in Infectious Diseases at UCLA's Geffen School of Medicine. Dr. Katona, thanks. There is a cafe in California protesting the ban on outdoor dining using a creative method to stay open. Plus, Congresswoman Katie Porter talking about why Congress has not come up with more stimulus. That is when we come back. Short break. You're listening to Coronavirus Daily on Radio.com. This has to be a great example of American ingenuity. Despite the state government's ban on outdoor dining, one local California cafe has found a way to keep its doors open. It's designated its outdoor dining area as a protest zone. Clearly a message to the lawmakers because peaceful protests, that's one of the activities that are allowed under the restrictions. The owner of the cafe is a Trisha Neal Swark Coffee Shop in Eagle Rock in Southern California. So there are those who say, you got to play by the rules, no gathering. Uh, people are going to get sick. What do you say to them? Well, I haven't actually had that happen yet, but uh, first, thank you for allowing me on your show. Um, I, you know, like I said, I've only got four tables outside and they're tiny tables um, and they're spread eight feet apart. Uh, I, I mean, honestly, the ruling that came out yesterday, uh, they weren't able to prove that, that eating outdoors um, actually spreads COVID. It sounds to me like what everybody's been saying is COVID is being spread when people are gathering in large groups. Um, again, it's been, ch- it's been challenging. I only, I mean, like I said, I only have four tables and they are two top tables. So, um, you know, I'm more concerned if I walk into a Costco where it's packed and, but nobody's, you know, obviously nobody's, uh, protesting there, but, uh, the hypocrisy that small business, small, especially small, small cafes like myself who are actually in a gray zone, you know, we don't serve, we don't have somebody that goes out to the table and takes an order. You yeah. come in, you buy a cup of coffee, you've got your dog, and you sit outside for a minute. On that note, uh, give people a sense of, of exactly what you're doing. You said you got a, a few tables out there, four tables. You're not a restaurant, you're a coffee shop, but it's not. you're not shooing people away. You didn't put the tables inside. This is just if you want to get something and go eat outside, you can. Well, you could. Yes, you can. But we removed the chairs as of yesterday, so we have no chairs. We only have our tables which are serving as a purpose, which is to hold our, uh, we have some greenery on top of the tables, just so we look like we're open. Because once you remove the tables, here's what happened. It's happening all across Colorado Boulevard. Once they remove their outdoor tables and chairs, they look closed and people aren't stopping. And so that's what's hurting the small businesses right now, especially the, the cafes and restaurants, you know. Were you affected by the viral video of the uh, restaurant owner who was uh, illustrating how that her dine-out area was closed, but then right next to her there was a movie shoot and they had a place for the people to eat there? Were you affected by that? Did that, did that influence Absolutely. your decision? Absolutely. It, it broke my heart. It broke my heart because I'm a restaurateur. I've been here for 20 years. I have, I mean, I'm in $300,000 debt. I mean, I'm still trying to you know, recover. And so I understand what I empathize with her because I I'm there, I'm there. And so to watch this happen, it's, it's the same feeling I get when I saw the, the, the photographs of, of our mayor at the French laundry, which is a three Michelin star restaurant, enjoying an indoor dinner, you know, for his birthday. And I get that. Hey, happy 50th, whatever. But we, this year, our, our kids did not get to graduate. They did not, and this is this is instrumental in someone's life to graduate. No, but our leaders can, you know, they can tell us what to do 
but they're not sending the right message out there to the people. And that's why I'm angry. Have you had discussions with some of the other restaurants you're saying on the street there? And is anybody going to try and do the approach maybe a little more aggressive than you, where they will do something outside and, and designate it actually as, a, I'm sorry, if you come by, this is a protest zone. I am protesting by eating outside. I don't know. I think everybody's so afraid right now of the rumors that the health department's going to shut you down. And, you know, I don't think that's true. I think the health department is doing a really great job and they're really trying to be fair and honest. And you know what? It's not their fault. It's also a spacing thing, too, right? I mean, bad on restaurants that were open, and I think we all saw them um, when they were doing outdoor dining, where all the tables were crammed together and you would walk by and say, I'm not so sure that is exactly safe. But if everyone is 10 feet apart, if you go above and beyond the rules, then maybe it's a different kind of scenario. That's what I'm saying. It is. If you came, if you came here and you saw my tables, you go, wow, okay, they're way apart. And I, I don't know what else I can do. You know, right now I'm just uh, here. I, you know, I'm every day I pray and I hope that, you know, you know, we get that vaccination as soon as possible and that, you know, that all happens. But in the meantime, I'm, I'm, I, I don't want to sink anymore. I, I, I have to start swimming. <laughs> all right. Trisha Neal owns the Swerk coffee shop in Eagle Rock. Trisha, thanks. Many Americans, us included, are tired, tired of the pandemic and tired of waiting for the second stimulus check from Congress. Many people are worried if they'll even have enough resources to weather through the financial storm sparked by this horrendous pandemic. We've been getting reports that negotiations are back on for nearly $1 trillion in stimulus. We've been getting reports that those negotiations are back on again, talking about $1 trillion in new stimulus. But have those new talks hit a new wall? Congresswoman Katie Porter, Democrat from Irvine, member of the House Financial Services and Oversight Reform Committees. So near universal agreement, people need more help. You guys got to do something. But months going by with nothing to show for it. Why can't she get it together? The most important thing for people to know is that Democrats and Republicans actually have an agreement um, to spend $900 billion to fund another round of small business loans, support hospitals, essential workers, and help people who've lost their jobs. The problem here is Senator Mitch McConnell. Um, It's not Republicans generally, it's not Democrats generally, and it's not an inability to compromise. There's one person here who's holding this up, and it's Senator McConnell. And the reason he's refusing to move forward is because he's trying to put into this package to help the American people provisions that would do nothing but allow businesses to act recklessly, kill their employees, put their lives at risk, and to um, remove liability for them. So he's the holdup here. All right. You have a lot of fans who love the way that you question people who are uh, sitting before your committee answering questions. You also have a lot of enemies who hate the way you question people who are sitting in your committee. If you could get Mitch McConnell to sit down and answer questions, uh, what would you ask him? Well, I would really want him to reveal and, and be honest with the American people that he is doing this at the bidding of the nation's largest corporations. Um, There is no problem here, except in the minds of the large corporations who wanna leverage this moment to try to get laws that are favorable to them. So there are, this is not a problem. Businesses are not facing liability. Businesses are following the rules. 
This is simply an effort um, for these businesses. They want to face zero repercussions or liability, no matter how recklessly they act. The only explanation I can come to for why Mitch McConnell is, is doing this is that he's doing their bidding because they're his donors. And there's no pressure from his fellow Republicans on him to budge. If you say that some of them are agreeing with you that, hey, we've got at least this package, we can run with it. There are Republicans in the Senate who are pressuring Mitch McConnell. And that, I think, has been the big breakthrough, the big improvement here. Um, and so it, there are Senate Republicans who have agreed to this short-term compromise. They want to you know, fill these gaps. They want to deal with funding for schools and local governments. Um, and so I'm hopeful that those Senate Republicans and perhaps the president will make clear to Mitch McConnell what needs to be done? Because people cannot afford to keep waiting. These are disaster. This is disaster relief at this point. The number of COVID cases in the country has left us essentially in a disaster. And historically, disaster relief, whether it's from wildfires or other things, has always been a matter of bipartisan cooperation. It still is, except for Mitch McConnell. All right. So Mitch McConnell's the, the big holdup here. Uh, what can you do to get around Mitch McConnell? Or is this a case of, well, he's got the roadblock and we can't get around it? We can definitely create pressure on him. Um, we can make sure that people understand that this is not about some uh, ideological battle. This is not about Democrats not being willing to come down on the dollar figure. Um, I think exposing to the American people that this is really about one person acting to benefit large corporations at the expense of everybody else. Um, I hope that that will create the political pressure and he will he will give in on this um, because there's like I said, this is a um, solution in search of a problem. There have been more lawsuits filed by the president about the presidential election than there have been medical malpractice or personal liability lawsuits filed about COVID. So there is not an epidemic of lawsuits. What there is is an actual epidemic of COVID, an epidemic of unemployment, an epidemic of hunger, and those are the problems we need to be solving. Congresswoman Katie Porter, Democrat from Irvine. You can find us on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. Stay well.